Hey friends, Ashton Gustafson here. Welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. One of our dearest village elders, uh, who is always so generous, by the way, to uh, share time and space with us. Uh, I reached out to his folks not long ago, invited him back on, and they said, absolutely, uh, he'll be there. And, you know, I say this every time we bring on Mark Nepo. Um, his, his works have become part of my morning ritual. Uh, it seems like every month or so I look down and, and the stuff I'm reading each morning, uh, he, he, he finds his way back into my morning sits. And uh, I'm just super thankful for him. I'm thankful for this friendship that he and I have had over the years of just having conversations on this podcast. And uh, more than anything, super thankful for his constant generosity to come and share some time and space with us. So uh, with that being said, Mark Nepo, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Ashton. Wonderful to be with you again, for sure. Thank you. Well, and, uh, you know, I, I always do this, always reintroduce you um, and kind of give you that opportunity as well, because each and every month we've got some new folks here that haven't been here before. Uh, so for maybe people that haven't crossed paths with you and your work in the world, um, where do you begin when you introduce yourself? Well, you know, I, I just say that, you know, I, what I... What I share are examples, not instructions. I don't have any answers. And that we're companions on this journey uh, to living a full and authentic life. So, you know, my, my job in, in walking together in whatever way that is, in retreats or circles or conferences or whatever things, is that, you know, I feel my job is to open up a heart space and help introduce folks to their own gifts and their own wisdom. Beautiful, beautiful. And you've done that for many, many years. And I know um, that uh, so many of us uh, have found your writings uh, over the years uh, so profound. They, it's, it's like when you read Mark Nepo, just whatever you needed that day, uh, it just hits you in the right spot. How many books now have you put out into the world? Oh. Poetry, books, all that. Yeah, well, right now my uh, last book, last May, the book of soul, was my twenty-second book, and um, wow, which is kind of amazing to even say. And and you know, I I feel like I'm blessed to be prolific because you know I'm a student of all paths, and I yeah. Yeah. I, I really you know writing is a way of inquiring, and so it's how I learn. Um, and I, I really lean into and write about what I don't know, which is why I'm so prolific. Because there's a <laughs> lot I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's the mystery. Yeah, it's the mystery, isn't it, Mark? Well, it is. And I think, you know, I share that, you know, one of my other books, a few books back, Drinking from the River of Light, is all about this this process, which is not just a creative process, but an, an inner soul process, an introspective process that's really available to everyone, is how do we, how do we relate and to the mystery, the whole of life, to everything larger than us, and, and how do we stay in conversation with life? Yeah, beautiful. Well said. Um, and I know that part of our dialogue today stemmed from um, these new webinar series that you're doing. And I know with COVID, you know, you probably weren't having uh, in-face uh, discussions and, and retreats like you've been used to over the years. So talk to me about this latest webinar series and uh, kind of how those have transpired over the last 12 months. Yeah, you know, so of course, like everyone who's kind of <clears throat> is a teacher or, you know, works with folks like like I do, you know, all of all of my uh, engagements all over the world were canceled or rescheduled, of course, because of COVID. And, and I was very, you know, honestly, it was very disorienting. I was afraid, God, how am I going to do what I love? How am I going to be, you know, and, and with the help of my team, you know, we created a platform so that through Zoom, I can teach online. And I've, and I, so I've been offering several different things, but, um, but I've been doing these major webinars. And so in a couple of weeks, the next one is coming up and, uh, 
it's centered on the theme finding inner courage our walk in the world and the format is it's three successive sundays so january 24th 31st and february 7th in three different set hour and a half sessions the same group um comes together and we'll be you know we'll be exploring this deep journey together and so folks who are interested uh can go to live.marknepo.com where all the details and people can register and you know during this whole thing we're keeping it really reasonable for folks and and there also we're recording you know on video each session so there's been a lot of folks from around the world that's the other thing you know when we when we meet in person um people travel and we meet and stuff but it's amazing of course not everybody can who's interested can make that kind of journey so through through this new online boy people are just can easily join in from everywhere and um and then you know access to if you can't because of time zone see it live you can always you know view the the recording at any time you want Absolutely. Well, it's beautiful. Um, I hope to get to join and uh, definitely invite all of our community um, to check that out when they can. Give me that website again, live.marknepo.com. Is that right? That, that's it. That, that's, the pla- that's the website that we created for all my online offerings. So, uh, yeah, it's all right there, and it's very easy um, to check into it. Beautiful. You know, and I was telling you this before uh, we hit record here, but I, I I brought out the endless practice this week in preparation of our call. Um, and you and I have had a handful of calls now on, on, on all of your different works, but we've never got into this book, The Endless Practice, Becoming Who You Were Born to Be. And on one of the first pages, you, which when you speak this word, uh, it was one of those aha moments where I was like, how did I not know that? Um, but you, you, like your, your writings are these welcoming writings. I think of the word welcome. Uh, and you wrote in there at the beginning of the endless practice, we get this word welcome as like coming to the well. Um, and that's what I feel when I read your work is that we're coming to the well, that you, uh, bring us beautiful insight on soul, heart, mystery, and so forth. Um, talk to me about becoming who you were born to be when, when the endless practice came to be, this book's a handful of years old now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it goes back. It's probably, yeah, I think it was maybe 2013 or 14 that it came out. So it's six, seven, eight years old now, but, but, you know, this was a, a very deep, deep dive for me. And, um, and, you know, this, this really sense that the practice, the journey, that there is no arrival point. Hmm. That the, you know, the journey is the arrival, and and that we by staying engaged in this journey of life, we keep becoming who we were born to be, uh, by by holding nothing back, by being present, by working at it, by listening, by holding, by you know being honest and tender, and resilient and strong, and admitting the truth of whatever comes our way and and you know that's very uh counter in our western world everything has an end and goal and a product and it's interesting because you know even um even you know my publishers for this book who so support and my you know so support my work and you know supported my work i'm with a different publisher now um but uh i remember in in bringing that book close to publication i was asked if if uh could I call it something other than endless practice because they were afraid that that might be received as depressing. Hmm. <laughs> and we, and you know, these are people who believe in my work, yeah. you know, and I, <laughs> my first, my first heart response was, well, you don't get tired of breathing, do you? You know, <laughs> it is and endless. we had a wonderful, it's endless. I hope we hope it's endless. And, uh, uh and um, but, you know, I share this story because we had it wasn't that they misunderstood me. We had a wonderful, real conversation. So they were asking, well, could you explain more what you mean by endless? And so I did. And I wound up, you know, sending 
this fairly long email to both the publisher and the editor and and they wrote back and said well okay we understand this differently could you include what you sent us in as an introduction to the book so so the opening introduction first few paragraphs um are what came out of that clarifying mm. conversation and that's part of the endless practice which i think we need more than ever today is is listening yeah well welcoming more than one view you know at turning our um you know whenever i feel certain about something i stop and turn it into a question rather than a statement hmm. say that again because that, say that again that was good whenever whenever i feel strongly about something or certain Rather than voice it as a statement, I turn it around into a question because it's only through quest the question that I keep growing. So give me an example of that. Well, an example is we're talk talking about this, you know, life, the, the meaningful journey of life is endless, exclamation point. Well, I turn that into a question. How, how is the journey of life meaningful and endless where then that leads oh where does what where does that lead what does it mean for it to be endless what does it mean for it to be meaningful how do i find out that when we once we turn it into a question it gives us doorways mm. and places to look and things to go but if i leave it as a declaration I, the journey is endless exclamation point <laughs> okay that feels good but now, now what Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's not a lot of flow in that statement. Um, it's more yeah. concrete well, than it is flow. Well, it, statements, as much as they feel declarations, as much as they feel good in the moment, they don't lead us anywhere. Hmm. It's, it's keeping the, the questions of life open. And so, so another example that is so i think important now as we have so much polarization and um and we can talk about that too you know but um it is is that everyone everyone if if you believe in anything larger than yourself then you're a mystic as soon as we start to name what that larger larger mystery is then everybody goes now we're making statements now everybody goes to theological corners oh no everything larger than me is allah or jesus or uh adonai or buddha nature or physics or you know on and on and you know i really don't care what we call it i want to inquire how do we relate to it how do we relate to it? You know, even an atheist um, who believes in nothing believes in something larger than themselves. They just call it nothing, and I call it everything. So what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, I, I love how ten minutes into the the dialogue with you, um, my mind's already blown into beautiful pieces. Um, <laughs> that's that's why I love these calls. Um, you, you wrote in, in the beginning of this book, too, that your post-cancer path, you made two commitments. And I loved these. It, 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 was, it was the first one was finding and creating inner food. And the next one was to stay awake and in love with the center of all paths. First, talk to me about what you mean by commit, a, a commitment to finding and creating inner food. Well, in just the way that we need air to breathe, the heart needs uh, meaning and presence and relationship to breathe. So it's pretty easy for, you know, when you open your mouth, you breathe in, there's air. But it's not as well defined when we start talking about meaning and presence and relationship. We have to lean in a little more. And so a commitment to to opening our heart to everything around us and within us for what will feed us, what will feed our soul. You know, and one thing I, I've come to believe since writing that book is, is that care feeds the soul. 
Hmm. And um, in the same way that, you know, you put wood on a fire to keep the fire burning, for it to keep generating light and warmth, and the fire doesn't care what kind of wood you put on it. It doesn't say, no, well, that that's cherry. You can't put that on me. I want oak. It doesn't matter. Whatever you throw on it, it will take and turn into light and heat. And the soul, it doesn't matter, I, don't, I believe, to the soul what kind of care you put on it, like a log on a fire. Just that you care. You can care about gardening. You can care about people. You can care about animals. You can care about silence. But it's care like wood on a fire that feeds the soul hmm. and keeps, keeps it burning bright. Yep. Yep. Beautiful metaphor. And then your second commitment that you had made was to stay awake and in love with the center of all paths. Hold my hand on that commitment. Well, yeah, you know, and this goes back, my learning of this to my cancer journey, which I know we talked about in one of our first conversations, but but that comes from this, you know, staying awake and in love with the center of all paths, because, in my, you know, actually next month I'll be 70, which feels hard to believe. Um, and uh, But in my 30s, when I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma, I was blessed to have people from all paths, formal and informal, just all kinds of generous, kind people help me, offer me something. And when I was blessed to still be here, um, I was not, and still all these years later, am not wise enough to know what worked and what didn't. <laughs> and, and I feel like I was called and I'm still called to believe in everything. And so all my work and all my books ever since have been, I've been a student of all paths, believing in that common center and trying to bring to people the unique gifts of each path. So, you know, it's the center. It's like that common well that we drink from and to stay in love with that, you know, path. I mean, one of my small, small poems, just three lines says, you know, those who wake are the students those who stay awake are the teachers how we take turns mm. that's good that's good wow yeah i think that um if it's true it's true everywhere right um absolutely and uh and and i think you've you've helped me unpack that um and, you know, the name of this podcast, Good, True, and Beautiful, like wherever we notice goodness, truth, and beauty to um, point it out, clap for it, thank it, uh, notice it, share it. Um, maybe that's what you're getting at, at the heart of this uh, uh, being in love with the center of all paths. Well, when we, when, you know, the, the paradox is that if I go deep enough into me, I find you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so by, you know, we are drawn to each other out here. But if I do authentic work in to my, my depths of my soul and into that center, we find each other. Yeah. And so by being, becoming who we were born to be, we also discover our kinship. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's incredibly life-giving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the endless practice, and as I told you, the, the word that spoke to me was endless, um, because I have found in these last handful of years so many different practices. But but I I, I love how you started this book kind of with six, um, and I wanted to just kind of walk through maybe some of those with you. And and but I also first wanted to just kind of set the tone for. When you and I use this word practice um, for our listeners, kind of help me understand uh, uh, this. What we're I, I need some handlebars for the word practice so, when we're talking about so, it. So, so there's the, the word practice for me emanates in a couple of levels, and and so you know the first the one that we're most most familiar with is the practice, you know that where we we work with 
with skills and we work with tools and we work with processes and we work with our hands and with others and we you know and and we we practice it we we do it over and over until um if we're blessed we we experience some kind of mastery and that you know, we get to one of those we later in one of the practices about mastery and all but and that that engagement um that's devotion that's where we give our full attention to things immerses us and helps us come alive i mean regardless of of how skilled we are that immersion brings us alive so that that's the one form of uh, uh, of the meaning of practice and and you know we we practice so the deeper meaning of practice under all that is for me um we always practice like you think of say you know Derek Jeter who was the great shortstop for the Yankees you know he he practiced god like all of those major leaguers th- fielding thousands upon thousands of ground balls all for the moment when the practice turned real and unpredictable and spontaneous when a bat would hit a ball and it would come in an unplanned un you know unprescribed yeah. way yeah. and his practice would enable him to feel to field it so we practice we in a way we rehearse for what is real for <laughs> for what you can't practice, you can't practice for and and one of the deeper rewards for this kind for practice is not that we just get better at a skill level but that when we practice deeply enough all of a sudden we're immersed in life and it stops being practice and it becomes real. Hmm. So, you know, when I, when I meditate and I practice to try to stop all thoughts and, and breathe and listen so that I can become one with things. Well, when I do that, you know, and then all of a sudden while I'm doing that, I actually slip briefly into oneness well, the practice is <laughs> the practice has dropped into being real. So that's the other, you know, part of of practice. And and so as we talk about this, and then we'll get into the the one, you know, these the six practices. But um, so there's you know two other things I would I would share about that. Um, one is, and this was a lesson from my father, who's now gone. My father was a master woodworker, and he's been gone. And actually, this book. The Endless Practice, it came out after he died, and uh, I dedicated that book to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and he, um, I remember being a boy, and um, one of the things he would do is he would work on, he would build these beautiful uh, model, wooden model sailboats. He would get blueprints of, like, big sailing ships from the 1800s and then he would build them to scale at a smaller you know obviously a smaller level but he he would be in our basement and working on these for hours and i remember i was maybe nine ten something like that and i was he didn't know i was watching and i was sitting on the top step watching him through the slats of the stairs and um and he was spending hours with tweezers you know making little rigging and, and sanding little rails. And I don't think he knew he was teaching it, and I certainly didn't know I was learning it, but he was showing me that the reward for immersion wasn't just excellence, it was oneness. Hmm. Because while he was, when he was that involved, that immersed, I had the, even as a little kid, I couldn't name it then, but I have since, I felt like he dropped into the moment where he of everyone who ever built a ship. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden the that subject object acts. disappears and, and that thing, that immersion, you become one. That's, that's the deeper reward. And so, you know, one of the pieces in the, in the book, I think I used to open one of the sections is a paragraph about the practice before the practice that in different 
you know, different cultures in different ways, there's, there's an apprehension before we start learning, for instance, you know, in Hawaii, before a young man can come of age and learn how to, to, you know, sail a boat out at sea, his elders take him up on the highest point on the island and have him relate to and watch the entire sea. That's the practice mm. before the practice, you know, that before, before the child prodigy in, you know, Vienna, a pianist could play the, uh, on the piano. He had to go watch a piano, uh, a piano maker carve the ivory keys and string the instrument. He had to know the practice before the practice was seeing where the music would come from. That's a beautiful metaphor. You, I, I under, underlined this sentence um, when you wrote that the deeper part of life's practice is to learn how to love the task and work the light. This can change everything. Um, talk to me about working the light, because that's a beautiful, I totally understand learning to love the task. I need help understanding working the light. Or, or once, you learn, once you learn to love the task, working the light takes care of itself. Maybe that's it. Well, yeah, all of the above. So, <laughs> so. Um, well, you know, cause I think, you know, what led me to that insight was that I think I had been uh, taught, I guess, or my own first way of like, approaching that was the reverse where I would, you know, I would work the task and love the light. Like if I could just do this, then it'll get me to the light. You know, if I could just do this well enough, then I'll be rewarded. Or like if I just work on this, then at the end of that, I'll get something will enlighten me or mm. bring me mm. some understanding or and but as i've lived life i started to see it was the other way around that you know in the same way that you would work a field the light need you know it's not we we tend to think of light as like you know i'll just i'll just sit here and it'll it'll come out of nowhere and just you know and and no i think we have to you know, just like you have to go to, you, you can't just watch the the water. You have to go down and bend down and drink from it. You can't just look at the land. You have to till it and harvest it. And so, you know, I, I, we have to work the light in terms of all that we're talking about, being immersed, giving our all. I believe in effort and I believe in, you know, I believe in grace and effort and uh, because, and I believe in effort because I never know when grace is going to show up. Mm. So, so I push the pen until it pulls me. <laughs> and, and I think that that's also that kind of like practicing until it drops into suddenly it's happening. And, uh, and so we have to, working the light is not just being a spectator, but holding nothing back and giving our all, you know, I think, I believe in revelation, but I think effort sometimes is revelation in slow motion. Mm, that's good. That's really good. Love the task, work the light. It's not work the task, love the light. I, I, I see the subtle nuance there. Um, as, as we love the task, that kind of opens the door for beauty, mystery, happenstance to come in. Grace, as you call it. And I think that, you know, um, and here, here's a moment, let's take a moment, I'll share this kind of paradigm with you, that, which is not mine, but it comes from Helen Luke, who was a Jungian analyst, who was a mentor of mine during the last two years of her life back in the late 90s. And um, remarkable, remarkable, insightful, amazing woman, and um, who wrote a book, uh, you know, called Dark Wood to White Rose which is a remarkable book I recommend to anybody. It changed my life. What, what it's about is it, it's looking at the, the, uh, the metaphors of Dante's journey in the Divine Comedy. Yeah. And, um, but why I bring it up is because this is all about working. You know, she says, you know, in, in that, which we're all asked to read when we're too young, but uh, the, 
but Dante's Divine Comedy is about this guy who takes this journey through this mythical journey from hell and purgatory into paradise and just filled with insights along the way. But Helen takes it and says, it's not a climb up a mountain. In her mind, she says, hell is the cost of false living. Hmm. Purgatory is the struggle to be real. And paradise is the struggle to stay real. Notice that struggle is everywhere, which is, we, and that's why we have to love the task mm. because there is no end to struggle, you know? And when we stop struggling, the only time we stop struggling is when we're dead. <laughs> wow. Give me those which three is, again. Hell is, yeah, the... is the cost of false living. And purgatory is the struggle to be real. Hmm. And paradise is the struggle to stay real. And so we must love the struggle. And and that doesn't mean that there aren't times within that greater love that we're not frustrated or irritated or impatient or disappointed. No, of course, that's part of it. That's all of it. When we just, you know, get... You, you know, just get to the last nail and somehow what you're building falls apart. And you go, oh, my God, damn it. You know, and you got to start over. Again. That's all. That's so it's not that we are, you know, falsely. We pretend that everything's OK. That's not what loving the struggle is. Loving the struggle is staying in it hmm. and, and being thoroughly human no matter what. Even paradise has struggle. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's that's something good to hold on to. That task, work, tilling the soil, um, that's even in paradise. Well, and I'll tell you know. Here's a quick moment that was my one of my first really learnings about that that paradise is here and gritty and real and and wonderful no matter what it was i think it was maybe been the fifth or sixth anniversary of my being on the other side of cancer and i was living in albany new york at the time and of course i wanted it to be a special day i was so aware i was so blessed to be here and i went i was living in in the city that time and went to my favorite coffee shop and had coffee and hung out for a while and you know and then i was on my way uh, i was going to drive to see a friend and and uh, and it was, it was raining, started raining, and and then as I was driving, my car broke down. And this is was before cell phones, and um, and so I had to walk to, you know, with an umbrella, which was I was getting drenched to a gas station to get the car. And you know, at first I was at first I fell into like, oh, got you know, of all days, right? This has to happen on this day. And then my umbrella like broke and the water was just all come. And then I just stopped resisting being immersed in the water. And suddenly I realized this, yeah, this is the anniversary of my still being here. And here I am in the rain and it's perfect. This is as good as it gets. It's as good as it gets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, that awareness, that availability, that spaciousness to to be in that state. Sometimes it it uh, takes us a lot of fighting and and uh, pushing against reality. But uh, eventually, when we allow it just to be, uh, even the rain can feel like a gift in that moment. But that and the the lesson for me in that is that it's not just that that's part of it. Like I couldn't just go out and say, oh, this is wonderful, I'll be in the rain. No, part of the struggle to stay real in paradise is at first, of course, I go, oh, God, and then my umbrella breaks, and I'm saying, I don't want to be out here in the rain. That, that's all part of getting to, the, to hmm. accepting that it's all just perfect. Yeah, penetrating the illusion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm gonna need to. I'm gonna need to write those three down and study those a bit. Um, super helpful though. Any other Jungian folks that we could research? I, I keep coming across stuff on Jung. Well, cer- certainly, you know, Carl Jung himself, and I think a great, even before his own writings, there, you know, he dictated his autobiography to one of his um, early students who became a Jungian, a great Jungian analyst herself. And, um, and the, it's called Memories, Dreams, Reflections. Hmm. Um, and then also there are wonderful small books by a Jungian analyst, Robert Johnson. He has a book called He, another one called She, one called We. He has a whole series of these small books, which he has a book called about the shadow. So, you know, Robert Johnson, Helen Luke, Carl Jung himself, um, yeah, just wonderful people to explore. Yeah, beautiful. So the endless practice, becoming who you were born to be. You mentioned six of these, and I just wanted to riff through these right fast to kind of uh, leave them here with our community as an invitation. Uh, maybe they all don't speak uh, equally to each of us, but maybe one of these uh, could kind of strike the tuning fork, if you will, um, and uh, get us all at the soul level um, where we need to be. You, you, you write first that the practice, there's a practice of uncertainty, and the practice of, the practice of uncertainty is patience. What do you mean by that? Well, yeah, so I mean, and again, these are things that, they're just things that I've learned, and they're examples, they're not instructions. If if uh, different versions or other things speak to people, go with what your inner wisdom tells you. But for me, you know, the we are taught in the modern world, in the Western world, and we're struggling with this right now, as you know, we're 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 taught to things are A or B, they're up or down, they're true or false, they're black or white, and the real richness of life, the great teachings of life are in the uncertainty, in the unknown, in the ambiguity, in the paradox. And so patience, waiting, allows things. You know, it's like if you remember before we had digital cameras, um, you know, the way that you developed photographs is you would take, whether it was small or large plates, you know, early on, you, you you take a photo, And then you take that film, you go into a dark room, you put it in chemicals and you wait. And eventually the image starts to appear. You have to be patient for things to make sense, Mm. for things to come into view. And it's the same thing with, with life. You know, we often, because we're human, we rush to conclusions. And we rush to, and we often make uh, our conclusions prematurely and which leads us to other trouble you know because we don't have enough information or we haven't we haven't allowed that you know if you will the heart takes pictures of what matters like those early cameras and you got to give it time Mm -hmm. to develop yeah that's good otherwise you don't know what you're looking at so you know one of the one of the hard gifts of this pandemic is we are being forced to become intimate again with the unknown and with uncertainty. And so the practice is patience. It's patience. You know, everyone, and I know I learned this also through my cancer journey that everyone and nobody, you know, there's a part, the human part of us is impatient, but the soul is infinitely patient. Yeah. And, and, you know, patience, everyone will bow before the God of patience sooner or later, uh, you know, which can, which will be a harsh but good teacher. You know, if I, I had to make many different decisions in my cancer journey, I had to say, you know, yes to no to uh, one kind of surgery, yes to another yes to chemo, then no to chemo, you know, at each point, it was a different decision that patience and waiting 
was my hard friend until I could see what the right step was to getting to here. Mm-hmm. Well, the next second one you said, um, the practice of opportunity is trust. Um, talk to me about that. Yeah. So, so trust, the, the word literally means follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. And, and when you follow your heart, it leads you always to what matters. It leads you to what matters, which is not, you know, when we look at what, um, you know, so William Blake, one of his aphorisms is um, straight is the road to improvement, but crooked is the road to genius. <laughs> And that is even more meaningful when we understand that the word genius, we know that the, the contemporary meaning of it, it is a certain kind of brilliance. Mozart had a genius and Beethoven had a genius and, you know, Stephen Hawking's had a genius, Einstein, you know. Um, but that's not what the word originally means. The word genius originally means attendant spirit. Hmm. Everyone has a genius. Everyone has an attendant spirit, which goes by many names, soul, inner voice, Atman, Buddha nature, the Holy Ghost, whatever, you know, you might, you could call it all kinds of things. But this is where the word genie comes from. And so when we look at the, the myth of Aladdin's lamp, You know, what that's really saying is that if you, you know, he holds the lamp and then the genie appears. And in that story to give him three wishes. But the deeper meaning is that if you embrace your life, your your genie, your attendant spirit will appear. Not to give you what you want, but to help you on your way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love connecting these dots. I'm just looking at this here. Trust, meaning to follow your heart, and from there, opportunity will arise. When you are true to thyself, um, yeah, true on your path, your narrow path, um, beautiful things happen. Well, and the other important thing about opportunity is that when we follow our heart, I've learned for me, we are often asked to work with what we're given more than what we want. That in fact, working for what we want, nothing wrong with working for what we want, but working for what we want is often an apprenticeship for working with what we're given. (laughs) That's good. That's really good. Working for what we want is often an apprenticeship for working with what we've been given. Yeah. The here and now, what's right here in front of me. Um what we've been entrusted in this moment, in this place, with these people. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The third practice, the practice of courage is doing small things with love. Sounds very Mother Teresa, if you will. Well, um, it actually, that is, that, is, that is derivative of Mother Teresa. Yeah. Um, it's, it, that's exactly where that uh, came from for me. Um, and it is that that courage is, I mean, and I'll be doing this whole webinar on finding inner courage, but, you know, two things right here that are very, I think, humbling and important about courage is that, you know, courage isn't the opposite of fear. Courage is what is available to us when we're afraid. You know, like we, we that's exactly when we have the chance to find courage yeah. is when we're afraid. Yeah. And, and, and it starts for me, it's always been that it starts with doing small things with love that, you know, it, it's the, the smallest gesture begins the journey of care. You know, I, as a, I have a friend of mine who's a wonderful, uh, an amazing actually, you know, um, peace negotiator, peacekeeper, peace re- um, researcher, John Paul Lederach is his name. And he's been all over the world involved in so many, you know, 
from indigenous to huge, you know, working with with heads of state. And he has a small haiku of his that says, um, don't ask the mountain to move. Just take a pebble every time you visit. <laughs> oh, that's too good. Yeah, doing small things, and that that's where courage begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gradually we take a pebble. Suddenly the mountains begin to move. Yeah. Um, the practice of connection is holding and listening. What do we mean by that? Well, that everything... Everything in life is connected, and but like, but like wires that hold electricity. Until you turn the switch on, there, there nothing is going through the wires. And it is our care, our love, our awareness, our presence that flows through all the connections. And and the, the oldest medicines we have to enliven the connect our kinship with everything are those medicines are holding and listening. I mean, I, 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 you know, we have so many more tools and things, but it all so much for me comes back to that. You know, there isn't a time that I have been, uh, that I have held or been held or that I have listened or been listened to that hasn't enlivened me. Hmm. I may not always hear what I want to hear. It may be difficult, especially to hear a truth that I'm not ready to hear or I'm resisting. But holding and listening are always life-affirming. Yeah, yeah. And, and engaging you know bring not just making us aware but bringing us back into that kinship with everything yeah yeah i i speak to so many folks uh and and people that i've coached over the years where they lack this sense uh, of of connection they kind of feel alone they don't feel connected with neighbor connected with earth connected with themselves your invitation here is to start Maybe start asking what are you what are you holding or 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 actually just begin to listen and as you tune the ear you then the veil then starts to part and you start to see how everything is connected. Well we have to you know listening with the heart um that's I think needed more than ever. Yeah. More than ever right now um is to you know if I truly listen uh, you know, if I truly listen to you or anyone, I don't know what I'm going to say. I will be changed by what I hear. You know, so much of our listening is waiting for our turn to speak. And that's not really listening. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, that is a practice and a discipline we can all uh, move more into. I love this one, the fifth practice, exploration, mastery, and abandonment. Help me out on this one. Yeah, so this this for me, and again, I want to, uh, and I'll tell a quick story here about, um, which comes from Helen Luke, <clears throat> that opened me to kind of put these, make these connections. But what I'm speaking about here, this is a an archetypal process or cycle or passage that all human beings go through when we're when we're a beginner we are exploring we are never as alive as when we're just learning as just starting and then something deeper and more subtle comes along as we do practice as we are present as we become who we were born to be and then we start to enter a realm of some form of mastery where we are one with what we're doing and exploring and being but then comes abandonment and i don't mean abandonment and in a relationship like i've been abandoned i mean that at a certain point we have to abandon the the attitude of mastery so we can go back 
to being ah, a beginner. Beginner's mind. That's how you get back yeah. to beginner's mind. Right. Beginner's mind and heart. Beginner's heart. And then we have to go back and we're and so we are all challenged more than once in our life to explore, to be in mastery, and then to abandon. And so the, the quick story of this is that there's another book by Helen Luke called uh, Journey to Simplicity uh, uh, about old age. And um, she takes a part of the, the myth of the Odyssey, a little known part at the end, you know, Odysseus after 10 years in the, in the Trojan War and another 10 years finding his way home to Ithaca, goes through all these incredible journeys that takes him 10 years to get home. So he's home and he's basically kind of retired. And he's things are peaceful, things are wonderful, and he's there with his wife Penelope, and he's restless. He he wants to, uh, you know, and he wakes up one day and he says, "That's it, I'm going back to sea," because he was a master at sea. Hmm. There was no one. He was he was regarded as the greatest captain and uh, the navigator at sea of anyone in his age. So he wants to go back. So he grabs his oar and his his you know backpack and he leaves a note for his wife and he's off to the harbor. And just as he's on his way, the blind soothsayer Tiresias appears as a spirit hovering above him and says, "No. You are not going back to the sea because you're going for the wrong reasons. You will turn around and you will walk inland." until you meet someone who doesn't even know what an oar is, let alone the sea. And then you will plant the oar and start a garden. Wow. And so he was being told, um, no, you were going back to the sea because you, you wanted to be seen as the master again, yeah. as the captain. You wanted that respect of that position. And he was, he was saying, don't, don't give up all you learned but abandonment. You need to come back. And you were a master of the sea. Well, how about this? You'll go to where somebody doesn't even know what the sea is. And you'll take all you've learned and you'll start over. And you'll start over. And your soul will come alive. And, you know, another on a personal story to follow that is that uh, when I first moved to Michigan, which was 20, almost 20 years ago now, um, uh, my oldest, oldest friend who had had knew this myth, we had discovered it together um, through reading Helen's work. So I had moved, moved out here. He still lives in Albany. I spoke to him this morning. His name's Robert. And um, so we were here a couple of weeks, and this huge package comes in the mail. And uh, no note, no address, no return address. And I open it up, and it was an oar. <laughs> That's cool. It was fantastic, and I planted, I planted it in our backyard. You got a garden. And everybody, and everybody thought I was crazy. <laughs> What's that oar doing in your backyard? But see, then when as when once people asked, then I got to tell the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I love the metaphor too of just mastery, careful with ma kind of like when we began this conversation today on watch out with your certitudes, right? Um, yeah, and and only pushing through mastery by means of abandonment can you fall in love again? Like can you can you be drawn back into this this craft skill, whatever it is that you have cultivated, art, name what whatever the name is, it's, it doesn't matter. But um, it's an abandonment that we fall in love again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So powerful. Where do you store all of these myths? <laughs> <laughs> You're an endless fountain, fountainhead of myths. Um, I love it. Well, you know, I, I feel, I mean, I've always been blessed to have a kind of a photographic memory, but more than that, I think it speaks to something else that we're talking about. And that is when we, truly relate to things they live in us and and you know the term to know by heart in our modern world we've we've reduced that to saying oh that means you need to memorize it mm -hmm. yeah that's not that's not what to know by heart means 
to know by heart is if is that if what these stories that speak to my life they're like those pictures that develop in the chemicals yeah. they're in, in, in my heart yeah it imprints so uh, you know when we talk about this or you bring that up it's right there yeah yeah that's good yeah um the sixth practice to stay devoted to the life of expression what's what's the life of expression well, the life of expression is so important, and, and you know, this is the book I mentioned, Drinking from the River of Light, is all about that. That's actually the subtitle, The Life of Expression. And that's below any creative process or art form. We all need a personal form of expression in order for the heart to breathe. You know, the lungs breathe, we know very easily by inhaling and exhaling. And we can't say, we couldn't have started this conversation. Well, this for this hour, we'll inhale only. Uh-uh, that's not going to work. You know, the way the heart breathes is inhaling for the heart is perceiving and feeling. Exhaling for the heart is some form of expression. And mm. that doesn't mean it has to be verbal. I mean, I could be quiet and silent and still be expressive. It, it opens up to any really, you know, it could be stamp collecting. It could be anything at all. Gardening, working with car engines. It could be, you know, making dinner for friends. And it could be more of the formal arts. But everyone needs, you know, uh, to develop their own personal form of expression and so, again, uh, uh, a way to look at this is we don't meditate to become great breathers. We meditate to become clear vessels. And likewise, we don't write to become great writers, but to become clear vessels. Hmm. Well said. Well said. We all need an expression. Absolutely. Yeah. A vessel, if you will, um, that can take us somewhere and take those near us somewhere. I think that's that's where we're getting with with on this expression idea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Mark Nepo, one of our village elders, always bringing wisdom that is so deep and beautiful, and I'm super grateful for it. Live. .marknepo.com. That's where we can go for those webinars. Tell us again the dates of them, and, and uh, I guess, can you sign up right now, between now and then, before yeah. they begin? Oh, yeah, you can sign up. You can sign up right till, you know, the day we do it. Um, so there's a couple more weeks left. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it is, that's it, live.marknepo.com, where you can sign up. And it's three, when you sign up, you're signing up for all three. There's three sessions in three successive Sundays, January 24th, uh, January 31st, and February 7th, from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. And, um, and yeah, you can go to that website um, and and take a look and see if it speaks to you beautiful you guys make sure you go um check that out hopefully you can join mark uh in his tribe live.marknepo.com for this webinar series um mark we've done this before uh, i've asked you to kind of leave our community in good word form like a benediction or or a poem or something that's stirring within you 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 up to do that again this time Oh, sure, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Thank you. The, Absolutely. the floor is yours. Well, this is a, a short poem of mine called Inside Everything. And, and in, I think this also speaks to why we engage in all these practices. And, um, and it's short, so I'll read it twice. Inside Everything, keep trying to hide, and in time you become a wall. Keep trying to love, and in time you become love. Our journey on earth is to stop hiding so we can become love. Everything else is a seduction and a distraction. Courage is staying true. 
inside everything. Keep trying to hide and in time you become a wall. Keep trying to love and in time you become love. Our journey on earth is to stop hiding so we can become love. Everything else is a seduction and a distraction. Courage is staying true. <laughs>